Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. I believe that we are all byproducts mm. of our narrative that we have inside of our heads. When I went blind, I could have told myself one of two stories. One story is, Chad, you went blind because you've got terrible luck. And technically, that could be true. The better story that I could choose to tell myself is, Chad, you went blind because you're one of the very few people who has the strength and the toughness to overcome it and use that to help other people. Now, if both of your stories can be true, why wouldn't you choose to tell yourself the best story? All of a sudden, you're transforming something that's a perceived disadvantage into an advantage. I went blind because I'm mentally strong enough to deal with it, which means I'm strong enough to deal with all of the other curveballs that life is going to throw at me. I've taken this weakness of blindness and turned it into mental strength. And after you do that with repetition and with thought and and intention over time and continue to tell yourself better stories, all of a sudden you can reframe your situation. What are the stories you're telling yourself about your circumstances? Are they setting you up as a victim? Are they setting you up so that you can bounce back better than before? Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. Now, I'm really excited today to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest, Chad E. Foster, who's a motivational keynote speaker, a sales finance leader, and an inspirational change agent who works at Red Hat IBM. He was the first blind executive to graduate from the Harvard Business School's program for leadership development and has been featured with NBC, CBS, Forbes, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, USA Today, and Chief Executive Mag. People are often surprised at what I was able to achieve in spite of being blind, but to the contrary, I feel I am successful because I am blind, not in spite of it, says Chad. After losing his eyesight while attending college in his early 20s, Chad started at a top consulting firm and has built a career in the technology industry where he has directed financial strategies and decisions resulting in more than $45 billion in contracts. His secret? Determination, ambition and resilience. They're the key drivers to his incredible journey. Now his first book, Blind Ambition, How to Go from Victim to Visionary, is available at Amazon and I highly recommend it. It's a fabulous read. Today, Chad speaks to corporate audiences and professional athletes to help them develop resilience in the face of uncertainty 
and to show people how to overcome their own blind spots. If you'd like a peek behind the curtain into how we put together this show, then go to innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel. There, you'll be able to get your very own digital token, which will give you membership of the Flywheel Nation community, where you'll have direct access to our amazing podcast guests, just like Chad, as well as me, of course. And you'll have access to a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz podcasting process. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing and your podcast into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. In our conversation today, Chad talked to me about how our mindset and the stories we tell ourselves shape our words, our actions, and the outcomes we get. We talked about using our gifts, even if, like Chad, they're wrapped in terrible wrapping paper. And we talked about happiness as a choice, a state of mind inspired by gratitude. Without further ado, then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Chad E. Foster. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited today to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, in the USA, Chad Foster, who's an international motivational speaker, and he's author of the book Blind Ambition. Welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast, Chad. It's a real privilege to have you as my guest. Thank you, Jurgen. It's my pleasure to be here. Look forward to the conversation. Now, I'm really looking forward to talk to you today and unpack your story in some ways. I've read the book. It's an inspiring book, and I'd certainly encourage everyone listening to this episode right now to read Chad's book because we're not going to go into a lot of detail about the book. We're going to unpack some things from the book and from your story in some more detail. When I asked you in the prequel to tell me about your business, here's what you said. You said you use your gift of going blind to help others see their own lives more clearly and that you've helped large corporations make billions, but nothing compares with the feeling of helping someone make progress. It makes going blind worth it, which is is an interesting comment. (laughs) Now I know that I've lost my vision to help others find theirs. So there's so much in that that, that I thought that is just amazing. So before we get on to some of those things, what's the legacy you aim to leave in the world, Chad? Well, I think the main thing is for me, I've, I'm at the point in my life you know, I think a lot of us, as we start off our careers, we're trying to figure out how we can make our place in the world. And for me, at least, it was largely focused on how well I could do in my career. And a lot, a lot of that revolved around, you know, what sort of jobs did I have? How much scope did I have? How much impact could I create in the business world? And, you know, I was very fortunate, to be honest with you. I was able to create some impact, was able to win some very large multi-billion dollar deals. And... Um, you know, the older I got and the more successful I became, you know, I had an experience when I went to, to Harvard Business School that sort of changed the way that I think about everything. And a lot of people probably think about Harvard Business School as all about business cases and things that you focus on in terms of the numbers and the metrics mm. and driving profits. But I had a, a really pivotal moment there 
when I was studying with a professor there named Bill George, who was the former chair and CEO of Medtronics and author of Discover Your True North. And he talks about how to find your meaning and purpose in life, how to discover your true north. And a lot of times, you know, he in his book, he talks about how to unpack that with moments in your life that presented trauma and adversity and how can you turn that into your profession. And a lot of my classmates were sort of grappling with that when mine just kind of reached up and smacked me in the face. You know, I'd never really tried to do anything with my story before. Uh, you know, I just, I never really saw my story as all that different or inspiring because it's just, it's my story. You know, it's my everyday life. It's my ordinary. This is my ordinary. And so I never really mm. looked into it all that differently than, than um, anybody else's story. And then I was elected to speak at our graduation at HBS and I, for the first time in my life, I tried to use my story to help somebody, uh, to help my classmates. And yeah, I'm not really normally a, a real soft and fuzzy person, right? I'm, I'm a sort of tough-minded guy. I've had to, to go through some pretty significant things in my life. But one of the gentlemen in my class, he comes up to me after my talk, and he's literally like, he, he's very impacted. He's very emotional um, by what I had said. And um, he... I later found out that this particular gentleman had lost his daughter the year before to cancer. But something I said that evening hmm. helped him and it, it gave him hope. Now, you know, I'm not really, you know, soft and fuzzy. I'm, I'm, I was sort of your typical sort of business guy. Didn't really think about the, the, the warmer side of business or leadership um, until that moment. And it just it was so powerful for me that moment that it inspired me that you know to think about how I can move beyond myself and how I can use what's been given to me that I, I didn't ask for you know I think all of us in our lives we all get gifts that we don't want you know a lot of those gifts are disguised in some really ugly wrapping paper my, my gift of going blind I never really saw as a gift for so many years until I saw the impact that I could have on other people by helping them think differently about the circumstances that life inevitably presents all of us. You know, none of us can control everything that happens to us, but we can all control how we respond and how we show up because at the end of the day, Jurgen, this is my life, so I've yeah. got to own it. And it's your life and your listeners' lives. And we all have to own our lives at the end of the day. So my, my legacy that I want to leave is taking what I've been dealt the circumstances and my response to those circumstances and the learnings from the adversity that I've faced and and pivoting that into an opportunity to show people and teach people how they can live more resilient lives they can live happier and more successful lives because the irony of it all is I actually today I'm more successful and I'm happier than when I could see um, I'm actually a better person because of my blindness and and not in spite of it I really believe that if I could still see today, I would be not as successful and, and not as happy. Yeah. Yeah, well, as, I mean, that, that, that was one of the parts in the book that I found very moving. Simply, um, first of all, that you had that impact on the other person, but then your realization that, hey, th this is something that I can do. This is something that I can give to others. Uh, did you, before that particular event, did you already have this philosophy of this is a gift disguised in ugly wrapping paper and, and I, can, I can 
gain benefits from this gift, as you call it? Or was that the moment when you, you no, I didn't. realized that was what it was? That was the moment, really. Hmm. I saw it as, I, you know, I never really saw myself as disabled, per se. I knew that I'd been given, you know, circumstances that were unfavorable. My eyesight was poor. I lost it over the course of, you know, starting roughly at, you know, my late teens, early 20s, I started to lose my eyesight. I was able to to do a lot of things with my eyesight. Before then, I played sports, played football and basketball and drove a car and, and all those things. But I never really saw myself as disabled. And I guess that helped me navigate the situation that I was presented in my early 20s when I had to relearn how to learn and I had to figure out how to use my computer and be able to write code to engineer software just to be able to use my computer, you know, without even being able to see my computer screen. I had to write code and engineer that software mm -hmm. just to do my job. I never really saw any of those things, any of the things that I'd been going through as gifts. Um, and I think it's because I'd never really, I, you know, I'd almost tried to avoid it, uh, tried to gloss over it or hide from it mm. and maybe you know maybe i was trying to avoid it because i was you know self-conscious about it maybe it was because i didn't want um, to feel like the obstacles that i were facing were any more extraordinary than the other obstacles that people face i think we all you know our own obstacles um the difficulties relative to what we've been through, right? Our own adversity that we face, the yardstick that we yeah. use, the measuring stick that we use to measure adversities based on our own experiences in our lives. And so I guess I just didn't want to accept that my life was as hard as I thought it, as others, as others thought it was. And so up until that point, I'd never really thought of it as a mm. gift. But once I saw how powerfully it could help other people if I were to just put a little bit of effort behind it. It was such a, hmm. such a pivotal moment for me. It was a real inflection point in my life because then I knew, you know, you, you can't unknow what you know. Once you've seen the impact of what just getting up and, and saying, yeah. what, you know, telling your story for 12 minutes, you can't unknow that. And you can't forget about the experience that you created for those other people in the room. And so after that, I sort of felt like, you know what, I have to do something with this. I, it would be like irresponsible of me to not do anything with this. And so from that point forward, mm. I started putting more effort into speaking. And then that's when I started looking into how to actually write and publish a book. And, and so obviously, I started putting more effort behind it. But it was because of that positive reaction during that experience that evening. Mm. One of the philosophies you describe in the book, um, and I think this comes early on, is that excuses are for losers and I'm no loser. Is that something that you already had before you developed this other philosophy of this as a gift that is just in ugly wrapping paper? Yeah, I think it started pretty early on, if I'm being honest, because I had pretty difficult time learning the limitations of my eyesight. You know, I was diagnosed at three years old with RP and my parents had noticed where I was bumping into things in dark areas. And so they took me to Duke University Medical Center. They diagnosed me with retinitis pigmentosa there. And as I, as I began to play and, and learn the limitations of my eyesight, I would find out 
things are there by bumping into them. So whether it was a downspout or a water <laughs> pipe on the back of a truck, I would bump into that and, and uh, inevitably I would end up in the hospital. And so I had a lot of physical pain growing up, sort of using the world as a walking cane, if you will, learning that, oh, I can't see well at dusk or, oh, this, <laughs> this gives me problems, right? And, and so that's a pretty painful process physically to go through. And then on into middle school and high school, you know, it became socially painful. Some of the limitations of my eyesight, not being able to drive at night, for example, not being able to play basketball because of the lighting in the gym or being able to play football because the games were at night. Those things were, were pretty uh, uncomfortable. Mm. But then, you know, the, my background in sports also gave me sort of a, that, you know, the mindset that you need to, to play sports, you know, training on days that you really don't want to train, right? It takes mental toughness and it takes mental discipline. And, you know, do you want to win more than you hate losing? And so I was always the kind of person that I just, I hated losing, I think, more than I liked winning. And so I always wanted to compete. And, um, you know, the intersection of those things, you know, as my eyesight began to fade and I had this sort of background and, and really uh, this desire to be more competitive, I think I always did sort of think that excuses are for losers. But I had a moment that I won't forget. I was about 17 years old and my dad is sitting me down and I'm, I'm going through the process of my eyesight continuing to fade. And he sits me down and says, look, son, I hate it for you. But at the end of the day, the world doesn't care that you can't see. The world mm -hmm. doesn't care. Person to person, you know, there's some empathy, there's some compassion out there. But in the, you know, the vast ocean of humanity, it just gets swept under the rug. And so I, I did sort of adopt that philosophy uh, from a very early age that excuses are for losers. And if you stop and you think about it, you know, how is it, is it better to comfort yourself in, a, in the moment with an excuse or would you rather hold yourself accountable so that you can fulfill your goals and your dreams? You know, at, at the end of the day, as far as we know, nobody's getting a do-over in life. Nobody gets a do-over. And so if we're also fortunate to live a long life and look back on our lives when we're in our golden years, whether that's 70, 80, 90 years old, pick a number, how will you feel if you don't get what you want out of your life? Is it better to comfort yourself in each moment with an excuse or would you rather hold yourself accountable so that you can you can achieve your goals and your dreams because i know at the end of my life or at the end of the day excuse me this is my life so i've got to own my life and it's your life and it's hmm. you know we have to own our lives and our outcomes um if we don't who will right and um for, for me an excuse yeah. is almost like trying to find a legitimate reason to fail you know, do you really want to look too hard for a legitimate reason to fail? I'd much rather spend my effort trying to find ways to get to what I want out of life, even if even if circumstances change. Yeah. Yeah. One one of the um, phrases you use a lot in the book is the stories we tell ourselves. And that you've just reminded me that it, an excuse is kind of the story, a story we sometimes tell ourselves. Right. And it, it's not yeah. just a reason for failing we're almost telling ourselves we are going to fail we're almost pre-programming that is that what you mean by the stories we tell ourselves and and the language we use it's yes so that's that is definitely one of the interpretations of it um you know 
at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, all of us will become our stories. That I believe. I believe that we are all byproducts mm. of our narrative that we have inside of our heads. So, look, when I went blind, fundamentally, I, I could have told myself one of two stories. One story is, Chad, look, you went blind because you've got terrible luck, right? And technically, that could be true. A second story, a better story that I could choose to tell myself is that, Chad, you went blind because I'm, you're one of the very few people on this planet who has the strength and the toughness to overcome it and use that to help other people. Now, if both of your stories can be true, why wouldn't you choose to, to tell yourself the best story? Uh, one of the stories that I could choose hmm. paints me as a victim, right? I've got terrible luck. It's the excuse story. The second story, the better story, it's like a Jedi mind trick, right? All of a sudden, you're transforming something that's a perceived disadvantage yeah. into an advantage. I went blind because I'm mentally strong enough to deal with it, which means I'm strong enough to deal with all of the other curveballs that life is going to throw at me. I've taken this weakness of blindness and turned it into mental strength. And after you do that with repetition and with mm. with thought and, and, and you know intention over time and continue to tell yourself better stories all of a sudden you can reframe your situation there's a if you look up essentially the clinical definition of resilience is cognitive reframing the meaning that we attach to circumstances is far more significant than the, the facts alone what are the stories you're telling yourself about your circumstances yeah. Are the stories you're telling yourself, are they setting you up as a victim? Or are they setting you up so that you can, you can bounce back better than before? Hmm. Yeah, it's about, and you mentioned it earlier, it's about controlling what we can control and then taking ownership or taking responsibility for those things that we can control. That's right. One of the pivotal moments I think in in the story in your story that you describe in the book is when you first went to leader dogs for the blind which is where you um, where you get your um, guide dogs from and you met other people there and, and learnt about the issues that they were having so tell us a little bit more about that and how that how that impacted on you at the time yeah that was a profound moment in my life I was 23 years old at the time, I had recently come to the realization that the onset of blindness was occurring. I was losing my eyesight. I could no longer walk around safely, so I knew that I had to, had to get a guide dog. And I went to leader dogs for the blind to learn how to use a guide dog, but I ended up getting a lesson there from the people there that was far more impactful than anything that I learned with the dog. You know, some of the people there... You know, they had mental impairments on top of being blind. Some of the people there were on dialysis because they had diabetes that had robbed them of their eyesight. And so they were blind and on dialysis. And there were these girls there, I'll never forget, these girls, they were deaf and blind. And these brave souls, these women, were getting a guide dog so that they could, they could travel independently. Now, for these girls, we had to talk with an interpreter who would sign into their hands. And that was literally the only way that they could communicate. 
And despite their unimaginable challenges, mm. they were getting a guide dog so that they could they could walk around, travel independently. And look, it's one thing when you just meet someone on the street and you hear how rough they have it. But I lived with these people for 26 days and I saw their challenges firsthand for 26 days. And so I, I came away with a new appreciation, a new outlook on life. I learned that you know, a lot of people think that happiness is a feeling, and it's not. Happiness is not a feeling, mm. and it's not an emotion. It's a decision. It's a perspective. It's a choice we make every single day when we wake up. We either choose to be intentional about how we're going to look at things in our lives, or we just allow random circumstances to affect our happiness. None of us controls everything that happens to us. But we all get to control how we mm. respond. So, you know, I learned the power of choice and we all have the power to choose, to choose our response, to choose our attitude, to choose our perspective. And once you start reframing your perspective to focus on things that you do have and you can be appreciative for that we all naturally take for granted, then you can start to build real gratitude and gratitude turns out is the anchor for happiness. That does lead to happiness and happiness ultimately leads to success. So for me, it was the biggest shift in my thinking over the course of my entire life is meeting these people who profoundly changed the way that I looked at my situation. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very, uh, to me, certainly it was a very moving part of the story. Uh, I, I really like that you say happiness is, is not a feeling, not an emotion. I mean, obviously, if we make that choice to be happy, we put our state of mind into that happiness sphere, if you like. It, it does trigger positive emotions. It does trigger positive feelings. But what your point is that it, it's a choice. And you talk there about gratitude. So what do you do to practice gratitude? Well, every night with my children, I have two kids married. I've been married for almost 20 years, be 20 years next month. But we all go around and list three things that we're thankful for each day. And so at night before bed, we all do our, we call it our thankfulness. And I want my children to learn the muscle memory of gratitude. And I want them to learn the muscle memory of gratitude by stepping through the activities of each day, the things, the small things, could be small, could be big, sometimes it's profound, like you know, our health or the fact that, you know, we have the lifestyle that we have. But sometimes it's the little things that we all take for granted. Maybe it's the, you know, the meal that we had that we wanted to have for a couple of weeks or something nice that happened when we were out or the, the nice thing that someone did for some somebody else, right? Sometimes, you know, we do favors for, for people in the family. And so it, it doesn't have to be big but it does need to be conscious and it does need to be thoughtful. And so none, nobody can say something that the other person said. Everybody needs to come up with their own unique things to be thankful for. Mm -hmm. But what I hope happens is that this very conscious and deliberate effort of placing our attention on the things that we all take for granted, doing that every day, for a period of time ultimately leads to the muscle memory for my kids so that they will 
instinctively be thankful for the things that have been presented them. And so that that's one thing that I do. I also I do practice mindfulness as well, and I, I journal regularly. And so, you know, sitting down and regularly journaling things that you know that that brought you joy or that brought you, you know, moments of fulfillment. You know, how can you get that down on on paper? I, I type that out in my in my notes app. But just being intentional about calling it out every day, I think, is a very good practice that, that does build the instincts and the muscle memory and, and into the way that we show up every day. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, a fascinating practice. And isn't it true that there's so much that we take for granted, isn't it? I mean, even, even reading your book and now speaking to you, it's and I reflected on this this morning as I was preparing to jump on this call. I said, "Well, I wonder what this would be like, what I'm doing now, if I didn't have my eyesight." And it's I have my eyesight. I've had my eyesight all my life. I've never had an issue with it other than a little bit of short-sightedness, and and I have had cataracts done. But it it's something that we take for absolute granted. The same with hearing. The same with touch all these things and, and yet um, practicing that mindset of gratitude for all of those things as well as as well as the things that are perhaps different or unusual that happen which it's probably a lot easier to practice gratitude for those because they're out of the ordinary yeah that's right and look I fell in the same camp right I, I took my eyesight for granted until it was gone and then I was mm. around these people at Leader Dogs and, you know, I realized, hey, look, I'm taking for granted my hearing. I'm taking for granted the fact that I don't have diabetes. I'm taking for granted the fact that I don't have any mental impairments. How many of us stop to actually think about, I'm taking for granted that I live in a country uh, that has great opportunity. I'm living in a country to where we now have an information-based economy, a services-based economy to where I can, I can have productive work. I don't have to go out and work in a field mm. where I can't see. I didn't ask to be born, you know, in the, in the 20th century, living in the 21st century. I could have just as mm. easily been born in medieval times or the Middle Ages. I could have been born in a country yeah. without access to opportunity. How many of us stop to actually think about those things and say, you know what, I didn't sign up to be born in this time, in this country, into a family that has given me opportunity. You know, all those things, I think we just, all of us kind of take those things for granted and until we can't, mm. and until something disruptive happens and forces us. And for me, that disruption was my experience at Leader Dogs. It really forced me to re-examine my life and, and uh, look at the situation and come to find out, you know, honestly, when you stop and think about it, this is a really good time to go blind. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of technology out there. There's the internet. There's, you know, assistive technology. There's guide dogs, all these things. None of us want to sign up to go blind. But look, if there was ever a time to go blind, now's the time. I don't want your listeners to think I'm recruiting them or anything, but <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good time to go blind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is true that there's there's so much to be grateful for in terms of what we have today, in terms of technology. I mean, simply the fact that we're talking to one another from different hemispheres of the world, from tens of thousands of um, kilometres apart, um, that we can just do that. 
is is amazing. It always amazes me when I get on this podcast. What one of the things that just shone through there, and I was going to touch on this, uh, is your humour and and your ability to take your own blindness and and turn it into um, humour, you know, set the mm-hmm. scene for other people, and it's almost like you're poking fun at yourself, but you're also disarming the other person and making people feel comfortable with dealing with you just as a, a an ordinary person in many yeah. ways right so did you Very did you always have that kind of self-deprecating humor or did that is that something that's developed as well well i think i've always been a little bit of a prankster a little bit of a jokester i always like to make people laugh Uh, just my source of material got a lot easier after I went blind. You know, I didn't have to work as hard to find good material. (laughs) But I do think it's important to, um, you hit the nail on the head, right? Most people, I'm not sure if they get it, but it is very disarming. And so whether I'm giving a keynote presentation to 5,000 people or I'm walking into the boardroom to present a, a business um, case or business proposal or whatever the case may be, I use humor a lot because I find that, you know, people are sometimes uncomfortable. They're not sure, like, what can I say? What can I not say? Did you see the, the game? Oh, wait, I don't mean, did you see, did you hear the game? You know, just these little things where, you know, words really don't matter. It's yeah. the intention that matters, but people aren't really sure how to respond. And so what I like to do is put people at ease really quickly. So you know, a lot of a lot of warmth, a lot of relatability through that self-deprecating humor, but then obviously showing them that you know I do have the competence to do what I'm here to do, and so it's a combination of how yeah. do I use humor to make me relatable and and to put them at ease, but then in the case of whether it's you know business content or some of the content that I deliver in a in a motivational keynote presentation, it's the content. Some of the things that I have to say are a little heavy. Some of them we talked about here, you know. Um, telling yourself the right stories, visualizing greatness, you have the power to choose, excuses are for losers. Some of those things can be difficult to hear for a lot of people, but wrapping humor around some of those things can make them a lot more digestible. And so how can I connect with people in a way that they are ready to receive it? Uh, Because some of the stories that I tell, and you've read them in the book, and I tell a lot of them on stage too, they're pretty heavy. Those are some pretty heavy stories, but by wrapping humor around them, yeah, it mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier to hear, and the audience gets a lot more out of it that way, I believe. Hmm. Yeah, I did. There's there's so much in the book that's kind of, and and some of them I only got the second time around, second time listening through. So I I listened to the audio book, and the second time around there was some ah, oh, there's a little bit of humor in that. I missed that going through the first time one that struck me as i was listening um this time around was where where you basically stepped off a, a high retaining wall with your guide dog and the guy the guide dog had stopped but you took the first step and and so i think you said something like and i can't remember was that romeo or um miles, that was miles. so you said hey yeah. we're going for a yeah we're going for a trip we're going for a <laughs> trip or something like that we're going for a little yeah trip. we're going for a ride this is on you buddy yeah you're gonna have to yeah. go on the ride with me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i classic mistake of um taking the, the first step yeah yeah so the, the key is the 
the dog had stopped, so you had to let him guide you rather than you guide the dog. Yeah, that, that's the advice I got from the school after I called them about it. They said, well, you took the first step. You should never <laughs> take the first step. Fair enough. I was a new guide dog user at that point. You learned that lesson one time. It doesn't take two. Mm. <laughs> so what, what was some of the lessons that you got out of working with a guide dog? I mean, there's, you know, we have we many of us have pets, but um, working with what probably is a pet as well, working with them and, and developing that relationship to a total trusting one. Um, what are some of the key lessons that came out of that? Well, I think the you know the first thing is it taught me to be more patient. I've been a bit of an impatient person for a lot of my life, but using a guide dog forces you to have a bit more patience with the situation and let things unfold. It certainly taught me that, you know, it's easier to catch a bee with honey, you know, than it is to, to, um, to try to get the dog to do something you want based on, you know, command and control. The, the more fun you can inject hmm. into a task for the dog, because the dogs, fundamentally, they're working for two reasons. One reason is they love you, and the second reason is it's fun. Hmm. And if they don't hmm. love you, if you're a jerk to them all the time, they're not going to do very good work for you, right? So you, you have to make sure that the bond is key, that, but at the same time, they have to respect you. And so it's this fine balance of, I love you, um, you know, I, I want you to do well and I'm going to give you every incentive to do well, but I also have to hold you accountable. And so it's that fine line of making sure the dog knows that you've got their best interest at heart. And, but at the end of the day, they have a job to do. And so it, it's a, it's a fine line you have to walk there. But then that second point, you know, just making sure that you keep everything fun. And so, if you're stressed out, if you get, if you, you know, you have a lot of anxiety because maybe you're lost or you're not sure where you're going, all of that energy bleeds over to the dog. And so the dog will be affected by it and mm -hmm. less likely uh, to, to do their job effectively. And so I've learned, you know, I, I travel all over. I did at least before COVID. I'm starting to travel again. I've been with just me and my guide dog, the two of us traveling from Atlanta to all over the world, Europe and Asia, between, you know, Germany, Singapore, China, Tokyo, uh, Korea, Spain, Italy, all over, just us, right? And I've sort of leaned mm. into the discomfort of, okay, I might get lost. I can't read the signage, obviously. I can't speak the language sometimes. So, you know what? We're just going to have fun with this. And you start to learn how to lean into the discomfort. So instead of it becoming the stress that it is for a lot of people to travel, a lot of people get really stressed when they travel, right? Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't get stressed when I travel. I've, I've realized that it's not going to serve any purpose other than create more anxiety for my dog. And, and so what's going to happen will happen. I just, I'm just in the moment, right? I'm just being mm -hmm. on my, on my task at hand and, I'll see what the adventure presents us. Maybe, you know, everything will go flawlessly. I doubt it. I doubt it will go flawlessly. Chances are something <laughs> will go wrong. I don't know what it will be, but we'll have fun with it. We'll roll with the punches at the end of the day. You know, if we make it to where we're going, 
safely, that's all that really matters. Hmm. Yeah, and and whatever happens, you might end up with some other stories for some of your um, humor. <laughs> I've got a bunch of stories. I've got a bunch of stories. I could go on for a long time about about some of the things that I've encountered, especially with the dog. You know, every time I get on an elevator, I can tell you're going to get on an elevator and people are, you know, I have a hundred pound German Shepherd. And so people are a little put off yeah. by the German Shepherd. So almost without fail, I can kind of feel the tension in the elevator and I'll turn to the person <laughs> next to me and say, hey, don't worry. He hasn't bitten anyone in weeks. And you can just, you can figure it out a little bit. Wait, what? Weeks? What do you mean weeks? What does that mean? <laughs> but you have to have a little fun with it, you know? You have to keep keep things light and say, no, I'm just kidding. He, he doesn't bite, obviously, but I had you there for a second. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. He said, don't worry, I fed him this morning, so he won't bite. Yeah, <laughs> mm. yeah exactly. All right, well, yeah. This is absolutely fabulous, Chad. I could keep going for ages, but I, we want to leave something in the book for the listener to go and actually read the book and get some more lessons. Um, I think it's a good time now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. It's the same five questions I ask of every guest. And uh, the okay. idea is you'll give some answers that will inspire some action with the listeners today. You ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. So first, first question is, what's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? The number one thing people need to do to be more innovative, I would say, is get comfortable with discomfort. Get comfortable with different points mm. of view. Um, be able to have conversations about difficult topics in a way that disarms the situation. So if you're never talking to people who think something differently than you, you're probably not going to be very innovative. You need to talk to people who have different opinions than you, because I really believe that diversity, diversity of thought creates change, and, and that is the engine for innovation. But if you're not able to have difficult conversations where people have different points of view in a way that's mutually respectful and invites people to bring different ideas in an open and collaborative way, you're probably not going to get the innovation. You have to be able to have those difficult conversations in a way that makes everybody feel welcomed and valued to contribute. And that really starts with just being genuinely curious, you know, and appreciating where people are coming from mm. and knowing that they believe what they believe because of the collection of experiences in their lives. And so when you show up with a little dash of humility and a lot of curiosity, you can learn a lot from somebody else, and that eventually will help inform your thinking over time. Yeah, yeah, I love that. The curiosity and humility and accepting that. I can't remember who said this, but the quote stuck with me. It was, everyone knows something I don't know. And yeah. bringing that curiosity, I wonder what it is, and I wonder wh wh why they're taking a different approach or why they have a different opinion to this. So it, it requires a lot of listening as well. It does. It absolutely. So, what's does. the best thing you've done to develop skill. new ideas? Or <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, Volkov, either there. Uh, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? 
the best thing that I've done to develop new ideas. I think, you know, a lot of people are maybe a little put off when they're surrounded by really smart people, but I would say to develop good ideas, you know, surround myself with people who I think are smarter than me. You know, how can I get as many people around me uh, who have high intellect, you know, when I'm, I'm trying to hire people uh, for my team, you know, I look for a couple of things, right? Things that you can't really teach. Intellectual horsepower, curiosity, and drive. If you have a very high drive mm. to do something great, to, to do something impactful, you're intellectually curious and you're able to figure things out very quickly. I can't teach you those three things. Either you're born with those things or mm. you're not. So if I hire for those three things and surround myself with people like that, then I know the ideas will will absolutely explode. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, great advice. Having having a team around you that really contribute and and have that positive mindset. So it's it's the classic hire for culture and train the train the tactics or train the the thing that needs to be done. Yeah, n knowledge can be consumed. Knowledge and process can be consumed, but either they have the things that cannot be taught or, or they don't, right? Hmm, great. I love that. Knowledge can be consumed. I think I might know the answer to the next question, but I will ask it anyway and I'll let you answer it and maybe I'll be surprised. What's a favorite resource you use most often? You know, uh, in terms of knowledge, I would say I use a lot of Audible um, as a resource for learning. I read a lot. So I read, I don't know, at least three or four books a month. And so if I'm just reading, I'll use a lot of Audible or a lot of Kindle because obviously I'm not very good at paperback anymore. <laughs> um, for research, you know, like most of us, I'll, you know, use Google or something like that. You know, for, for other things like expanding my horizons, you know, um, it's funny how you can learn from seemingly inconspicuous things. Like, you know, I, I just six, six, seven months ago, I started taking Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And you would think that that is just, you know, a lot of physical activity that takes place. But there's a tremendous amount of learning that exists in, in something like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Just what you can learn about yourself and how you show up and you know how that you you encounter other people and and how you think about fear and how you face your fears and so you learn a lot about i, I think you can learn from from lots of of different things another great resource that i use is just mindfulness right sitting with yourself for 30 minutes a day with no distractions and just sitting mm -hmm. with your thoughts and bringing your attention to your breath and it's amazing what you can learn about yourself and the thoughts that come up when you're just trying to focus on the breath. And I really believe that once we can get better awareness of where our thoughts and feelings and everything is coming from, we learn so much about ourselves. And I, I just kind of, I've personally experienced a lot of growth in this practice alone over the last five years, just paying more attention to myself and how I'm showing up um, in the moment as I'm sitting you know, quietly and, and how does that translate into other areas of my life and how am I showing up there? Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. And 
I guess a common theme through that is is a curiosity again and um, really listening to self, listening to others, observing what's happening in jiu-jitsu, for example, the curiosity part, and how can that be applied in other areas? Yeah, absolutely, because you th think about it, Jürgen. If, if people are never yeah. curious and they're never getting outside of their comfort zone, if we're never getting outside of our comfort zones ever, then we're not growing. And so who wants to live a life without any growth? Yeah. And so for me, it's a very important thing to continue to push myself outside of my comfort zone, whether that's with Brazilian jiu-jitsu or skiing a double black diamond, not being able to see or, you know, taking on a new task, like just learning more about myself, just continuing to stay curious and, and seeking that growth. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. And we haven't even talked about the skiing the double black diamond. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, um, when you're working with clients, what's the best way to keep them on track? In terms of um, <clears throat> when like I'm working with clients who hire me to come in and speak, how do I keep them on track with um, the meetings that, that we're having to, to prepare? Yeah, for example. Yeah, I think it's it's really good for me to, first of all, have my list of things that I need to cover. So I need to know, in the case of speaking, there's a lot that I know about an event that a lot of clients really haven't thought through. And so I need to make sure that I cover all of those things. Hmm. But to keep them on track, right, I show up to the meeting. I don't just start going down my list of things. The first thing that I want to do is sit down and no surprise, be curious and listen to their objectives. What are the objectives that they have? And so after I've heard what they want to achieve, then it's a matter of sort of looping back. So whenever I'm, you know, active listening with somebody, there are a couple of things that you can do. One of the, the things that I like to do is loop back, paraphrase in my own words what I'm hearing them say hmm. to make sure that I'm fully connecting with them so that you know, not only am I hearing them, but they feel like I'm hearing them. They feel heard and they feel understood. And that's a lot that allows us to really build a strong connection. So whether it's, you know, looping or, you know, paraphrasing or creating a summary of what it is that I think that they that, that they're looking for. But then obviously, you know, making sure that once I've built that connection and they feel like I've heard them and they feel understood, then it's OK. What are the things that they may be overlooking. And so having the structure and the ability to, to weave that into the conversation so that I can get what I know I need to know in order to make the event a successful event. Because there are certain objectives that they may have, but certain things that they're not considering. So how do I bring those two together in a conversation mm -hmm. that really you know, brings us closer together as opposed to you know, having a conversation that appears you know, clunky or, or disruptive, right? M making them feel heard first is very important. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of lot of active listening and then uh, focus back on the objectives. And I think you also said at the beginning you've got a checklist of things that you know need to be covered. Absolutely. Yep, that's exactly correct. Okay, well, the final question of the buzz round is, what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Yeah, I think the number one thing that anyone can do to make themselves stand out is learn how to be 
comfortable with who they are and get to a point mm. of being unapologetically authentic to who they are, really owning their situation, whatever their situation is. You know, when I was when I first went blind, I was trying to pretend that I could see everything and everything was okay. When the truth of the matter is, I, I couldn't. And so I was walking around without a cane, without a guide dog. And I was essentially trying to be someone I wasn't, trying to act as if my eyesight was okay. But when I got my first guide dog and I stopped trying to pretend that my eyesight was okay, you know, that's when my comfort level with myself really went up. I had to own my situation. You know, you can't really hide a 100-pound German Shepherd in a conference <laughs> yeah. room. So I learned to be unapologetically Chad. And that, to me, was one of the biggest gifts that my blindness has granted me is learning how to be true to myself regardless of my circumstances and just knowing how to own my situation. So if people want to differentiate themselves, just owning their situation and just being authentic to who they are is my recommendation. Hmm. Yeah, and, and that's like you talk about the gift and that's a gift that we all have, isn't it? Because that's who we are. So Absolutely. just owning that and yep, we're all being unique. authentic to that. Hmm. Excellent. Well, thanks, Chad. Um, now, where can people reach out to you, maybe say thanks for what you've shared today and certainly learn more about you, the work you do, your speeches, take a look at your YouTube channel, also the book, of course. Yeah, they can find me at chadefoster.com. I am on social media as well. They can find my handles on my website at chadefoster.com. My social media for Instagram, Facebook is find Chatty Foster. Twitter is just at Chatty Foster. And the book is on Amazon. It's at Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. It's all over. So they can, they can find links to that on my website or they can go to their local book retailer and, and find copies there as well. Excellent. And of course, we'll have those links in the show notes as well so people can click straight through. Final, well, two more questions. Uh, what action would you like our listener to take out of today's conversation, Chad? I would like for each listener to learn how to control and think about the stories that they're telling themselves about themselves and, and their situations so that they can at least make sure the narrative that they have playing in their minds is the narrative that they want. And if they're telling themselves stories that aren't taking them to where they want to be, then they, they take action on that. They choose to tell themselves a better story. All of us, at the end of the day, we're all films in the director of the movie that's called Our Lives. And so we have to learn how to take control of how we write the ending for our stories. Hmm. That's great advice. And I love the metaphor. And it's... Uh it's funny you use so many visual metaphors, but it's true. The um, we're kind of the director of of our own life story movie. We're the writer, we're the uh, producer, and it's all in our control. Absolutely. All right, and finally, who else should I get on the show, and why? Well, um, I have a friend of mine that I'm going to put you in with I will send you some contact information but she is working on how to bring kindness to business um, and I think you're really going to enjoy having her and kindness doesn't necessarily you know a lot of people think about kindness and business as 
oh, it's going to, you know, be squishy. It's, it's not, there's mm. real value in bringing kindness to business. And so I think people will really benefit from hearing a point of view that we don't get to hear a lot of. And that is bringing kindness to, to the business community can actually create better connection among associates, but also drive real value for the business. Mm. Great. Well, I look forward to that introduction and sounds like a really fascinating topic to explore. So thanks again so much, Chad, for sharing your time and your insights so generously with us today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I really enjoyed reading or listening to the book. I did, did read some of it, but I listened to the, to the audio book. That's my preferred way of consuming those. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed following up on some of the points from the book, and, and we should do this again sometime. I'd love that. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate the feedback on the book. And yeah, that's my preferred way as well. Not that I have a lot of choices now. I think <laughs> Audible is the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, are you um, do you have any plans for speaking in Australia in the near future? Uh, I've done a couple of virtual events with COVID. I've been working with a, a couple of clients there. I am looking at now that things are opening back up. I don't have any in-person there yet. Uh, but a couple appear to be on the horizon now that things are starting to get a little mm. bit more, um, you know, open there. I have done several actually virtual talks with uh, with some clients in, in uh, Australia, but those are not nearly as much fun as the in-person. Yeah. You know, we, we do the virtual when we can, but obviously there's a lot more energy, a lot more excitement in person mm. if we can have those. Okay, well, let's stay in touch. And if you, uh, when you do have an in-person event uh, hopefully nearby where I am then we'll find a time to get together I welcome that all right well thanks Chad and all the best for the future likewise thank you Jurgen I hope you enjoyed that wonderfully inspiring conversation with Chad and took something away from his episode. So, why don't you right now, listening to this, think about the stories you are telling yourself. Take control of the narrative that you have playing in your mind and make sure it's the narrative that you want. If necessary, make the choice to tell yourself a better story. We are all film directors of the movie that's called our life. So let's take control of writing, producing, directing, the whole story, and most importantly, of course, the outcome of that story, the ending. Are you telling yourself the best stories? Chad's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash Chad E. Foster. That is C-H-A-D-E-F-O-S-T-E-R, all lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Chad E. Foster. You'll also find contact information for getting in touch with Chad there, as well as links to his website, his book Blind Ambition, which I highly recommend, his social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation. You can bookmark this episode permanently for convenient access and also support the podcast with a small contribution at innovabiz.co forward slash bookmarks. As a supporter, you'll be able to suggest future guests 
And from time to time, we'll have special rewards just for our supporters. Now, if you've listened this far into the show, then you know that here's the challenge. If you love this conversation, and why wouldn't you have loved this? And you think it would be useful to one other person, be brave enough to share this conversation with that one other person. Chad suggested that we have a conversation with Cole Baker Bagwell, co-founder of the Kindness Corporation, on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Cole, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Chad E. Foster. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode. It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. Now remember too, to go to innovabuzz.co forward slash flywheel to collect your unique digital token, which will give you membership of the Flywheel Nation community, where you'll have direct access to our amazing podcast guests, as well as to a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz podcasting process. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.